I'm Kate Daniels. Today, 9-11 marks the 15th anniversary of the tragedy in New York City. As a country and with countless people and countries across the globe, we mourned. Today, Lisa Luckett joins us. Lisa lost her husband on that horrible day. She became a widow, a single mom to her two children, and found a strength within herself to go on and has created a great life for herself and her children. Her resilience and determination are incredible and give us hope. What can we do in our own lives? Let's meet Lisa and hear firsthand. Lisa Luckett, good morning. Thank you so, so greatly for being with us this morning. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I am so looking forward to sharing an incredible story, your story here with our listeners and uh, really setting perhaps a challenge, perhaps an opportunity more so to live our life to the best that it can possibly be. It's always there, ready and open and available to us. Right, Lisa? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And you are one of the people out of uh, a relatively small group dating back to 9-11, that horrible, ominous day in history. And we just all were so traumatized by you because your husband was killed on that fateful day. That is something that would have perhaps devastated most. And of course, it was devastating. But you have really used it as a launching pad. You said it, it really gave you your life back. It definitely gave me my life back. It certainly shot it in a new direction and what ended up being the right direction, if there's a right and wrong to things. And um, the morning of 9-11 was a very unique place for me as a, a widow. I had a, an unusual story around the fact that I was actually prepared for my husband's death in a kind of twisted way, but a useful way, because he had walked down in the bombings in 1993, if you remember, and it was at that time that I really dealt with terrorism, um, the anger and everything, because the second round in 9-11, September of 01, I didn't feel that anger anymore because they all went back into that building with knowledge. They knew that they were a target. So somewhere in my subconscious mind, that first round prepared me that this is a strong possibility to happen. Secondly, my husband was 40 years old. We had just had our third child that May. Uh, he was four months old. And we were, you know, the rose-colored glasses were off. He was under a lot of stress. He was a little overweight. There was no time to exercise. He had these long hours. And so he was a walking heart attack. And his mother had lost her husband, my husband's dad, early on as well. And she was very, very worried for Teddy. And my husband was Ted. And as a result, she would tell me this all the time. And I would, so what happened, I ran his death through my mind literally hundreds of times. And it was terrifying. And the truth is, what I learned from that is we humans have, are very powerful. Our minds are extremely powerful. And you can get yourself just as worked up over the idea of an event as the event itself, as I came to learn. So the morning of 9-11, actually, once the initial incredible shock of what was happening cleared, because within an hour, I had a stream of people coming into my house, and now I had to deal. Plus, we didn't know what was happening. So I was on the phone calling the people that I knew at the World Trade Centers, the wives of people I knew who, whose husbands were there. I was very, very functional. I was also a mother, a nursing mother, and nature doesn't let you go down. Nature protects mothers. So in the strangest, twisted way, I was actually prepared for his death so that that morning was a bounce, and I was 
unbelievably clear and calm and actually, believe it or not, very normal. Uh, Because everyone else was reacting, I didn't have to react. When it happens to you, you're in a different, you're in the offensive position while everybody else is in the defensive position. So it was very different for me. And it sounds like, of course, it was the perfect thing, and it helped you to really be able to cope with all of this that was going on. And your children, of course, there's part of nature. They required your being present to them. You understood that. You just did that. Well, and what's interesting, and again, you know, one of the things about on a more global basis when I look at 9-11, we as a country were very unprepared emotionally to handle any of it. So 9-11 for me shot me out of a box, out of the box, the box we all try to fit in. And I'd been trying for the first 40 years of my life, only to never be successful there. So out of the box, I was shot. And what that means is all rules were broken. All bets were off. No one knew what to do. So for the first time in my life, I actually trusted myself and trusted my intuition and trusted my instincts and did what I thought was right. Because I could very clearly see that this was the equivalent of having every emotional bone in your body broken simultaneously times 50 million people, at least. You would go to the doctor for your body. So I went to the doctor for my mind and decided to not listen to the shoulds. And it wasn't even a decision. I just knew not to. It was a trust in the knowing and an intuitive direction which we all have. And so what I've learned over the last 15 years and why I've come forward to talk about this at this 15th anniversary is because we really have extraordinary strength and courage and resources if we trust ourselves from within. And that has been what I've learned. And that is so powerful. For me, I would say that is what our life purpose is, is to find that and then live our life with all of that knowledge within us. That's right. And I think what's happened is just by the nature of how we've evolved in our culture, um, both in America and globally, and just where we are, and we all know what's going on, it just seems to be so crazy. We've become more and more separate from each other, when in fact, we're really all part of a whole. And we've looked externally for our happiness. We've looked externally for the answers. We've looked outside of ourselves, which is why it's not working. Because if we just remember that back inside that we are completely perfect as a whole that we are, we are enough. We don't need to improve. (laughs) We, We got it. We just have to trust that we've got it. And the happiness has to come from within. And if you've ever, you know, anyone who's studied spirituality or the enlightenment movement or anyone who really understands that joy, it spills out over. It doesn't come in. It comes out from within. And people, you know, if you've got that, you understand what I'm saying. And for anyone who doesn't have it, I highly recommend trusting yourself to get there because it is a it is really makes living as a human a beautiful thing, even in trauma. Hard as that is to imagine, that's exactly what happens. And you are living proof and you're here to share that inspiration and confirmation with us this morning. Yes. And, you know, I didn't again, it took the courage and often in the stories of this perseverance or anyone that's had a struggle that they've overcome to get to this place. And there's millions of us. It's about the courage is really about standing up to honestly, very often the people closest to you, your family, your friends that are not supporting you in what you want to do, even though you know, it's right. The strength comes in saying, I'm going to do what I need to do. I love you, but I don't agree with you. And I'm going to do this because this is for me. And this is for my children. I appreciate you. But what happens is 
if people haven't done the emotional study, the psychological study, they're going to project all of their damage into the situation. My parents were very damaged. We were very dysfunctional. So what I had is an opportunity to take two loving yet very dysfunctional American family systems and become the pivot to turn my children's trajectory into a new place so that, in fact, I could stop the generational behavior. Now, I didn't know that all then, but I can tell you that's exactly what happened. I knew it intuitively. I knew to take the steps, which meant I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to go put this on the table to find out why I feel this way, to find the why out, not why there was terrorism, although I did work on that, but mostly why were we not prepared? What could we have done different? Why do I feel the way I do? Why did my life turn out the way it did? And to study that without blame, but just for understanding. And the most fascinating thing in the world you can do is study your life. But it's really important to be authentic and take responsibility for your actions within that. I was so honest. My therapist said, you are the most honest person I've ever met because I admit completely to my faults and my mistakes. And as I would go forward and the things I did wrong and the personal experiences I was having, you know, with family and friends and just moving this forward for, you know, all these years. So it's all incredible catalysts to learn. So it takes humility in just being honest with yourself. And with humility comes this incredible gratitude. And with gratitude comes grace. And grace is God. Grace is source. Grace is that beautiful, centered, live-in-the-moment appreciation that we're all really here for. So trauma often gets you there because trauma kind of clears the slate. The pain is such a motivator. So pain would not be in nature if we all agree that nature is always in perfect balance. Pain is in nature for a reason. So I look at pain as kind of a fast track to wisdom, that instead of when we stop trying to control it, to trust that its intensity will lessen. In other words, I had no experience with death before Ted died. I thought I was going to literally be hit with a tidal wave of crushing, excruciating pain that was going to last unending 24-7 for the foreseeable future. The truth is, it wasn't even close. I was numb for the first year because I was a mother of three kids. And the children are such great distractions. So distraction within grief is really healthy, healthy distraction, not going and opening a bottle of vodka, but you know, distracting in knitting, distracting in anything that soothes you, strumming a guitar, writing music, exercising a voice of creativity to, to release the pain, to use it and learn from it. So instead of trying to control it, to just let it kind of wash over you and just, just be in it because nature will give you the reprieve. It'll give you a break. You just have to not try to, you know, don't do the shoulds and think you have to feel bad all the time. When you don't feel bad, don't feel bad. And just allow. So that's been my experience. And you determined that you were going to need some insight. You were going to need some guidance. You found a therapist. Was that after about a year's time? No, no. no. In fact, on my website, I'm, in fact, before I started the company, which is part of this reason I'm out here. So to answer your question, um, in within six weeks, I wanted my daughter and I to find a therapist. So I had had a year of therapy in New York, which was very successful. So I, I knew that it was a, a chemistry. It was a personal connection, much like a relationship. So I knew to interview. And not, there's not all, you know, not everyone's a great therapist. And certainly not everybody's a personal match. So when I was interviewing therapists, the woman I ended up talking to who is absolutely the resource of a lifetime and gave me a life I had only wished and dreamed of living. 
And I realized that about five years ago, that I'm living the life I had wished for, all because of analysis and sobriety, by the way. So when I was interviewing for my daughter initially, because she was seven and I wanted her to go immediately, I met this woman and she said after about an hour, why are you interviewing therapists? And my answer was, well, because I've had a lot of bad dentistry. Because not everybody who hangs a shingle out is good at what they do. You can't learn to be a therapist in a book. The way you learn to be a therapist is study and do your own work on the couch. You have to do your own analysis. Because you can't hope to really understand unless you've been through it. It's very experiential. Because that's where the empathy and the sympathy lies. That's my opinion. There are people that might disagree with me. And in no way do I want to offend anyone. But that's been my experience. I couldn't trust someone unless they had done the same level, if not actually more work, to lead me. But they were, came within six weeks I, was, I started. So November of 2001, I started. And then four years later, I achieved mental health. And I would say to my therapist, how am I going to know? Because I wanted it so badly from a very sad, lonely childhood. I knew it wasn't supposed to feel like that. At the age of seven, she asked me one day, when did you know? I said, I was seven years old sitting on a jungle gym in second grade. And I knew it wasn't supposed to be like this. So I wanted mental health more than anything. So in a very twisted way, 9-11, which the title of a book that I'm going to write this year is called 9-11 Healed Me, because 9-11 gave me the catalyst to go to therapy and figure it all out and get to where I am. So she would say, you're going to get a rush of creative energy like nothing you have ever known. So I quit drinking in September. I was alcoholic. Like my family's dysfunction was alcohol throughout. And high functioning in you know, society, you know, just had a wine habit. And I needed to stop that because I couldn't control it. So I just had to stop. And when I stopped, I recognized the message of AA is you let go and let God. So that was my first experience with humility and grace. Actually, my second. My first was the morning of 9-11 when I had a room full of people all really needing to help me, all terrified, all in so much pain, just traumatized. And here I was fine and fully functional. And all I wanted to do was help them because I'm very generous and I'm a woman of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. We were cultured to do everything and never ask for help. So the idea of anyone helping me was the last thing I wanted. But in that prescient, unbelievable moment of awakening, I recognized that the only way I could help these people was to actually let them help me, to let them in. And I opened a door, or it opened, the door opened for me or the window to pass through and allow this to let go and allow help. And in that moment, that's when I was overwhelmed with the humility and the gratitude and the grace that came literally flowing in from the morning of 9-11. So by going to AA and hearing the language of that, that process, of that 12-step program, it talks about gratitude, humility, and grace. So all of a sudden I had language for what I'd been going through. So it's a very interesting thing. So one of my points in, in all of this is your life really does prepare you to handle what's coming and to learn. These lessons are right here with us every single day. If we can pull back enough to just observe ourselves and watch them unfold. So incredible and fascinating at the same time. And the thing is, you are living such a vibrant life. So many people, I feel, get stuck, though, not moving forward. There's a fear, whatever it is, rational, probably an irrational fear of discovering something that's really going to horrify them. 
And isn't that just something irrational that wouldn't happen to us? Well, fear is real, but fear, fear is actually not real. <laughs> fear is always conjured. And what did FDR say? You know, Roosevelt, we yeah. have nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear is not real, but it's so powerful. Back to how powerful our minds are. What is courage? Courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And so what I'm here to say is we all have enormous courage. We just haven't been reminded. What you and I were talking about before we started, it's we have to remind each other and ourselves every single day how strong we are, especially in the face of what we're facing now in a global way. You know, we can be prepared emotionally. We can educate ourselves emotionally on how to handle things. My experience was tested in 2009 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So instead of, you know, of course, I had the natural reaction, cancer, the word cancer itself instills so much fear. It's like hitting a switch and you're, you know, it's gut-wrenching after that again. But here, as soon as I recovered from the initial diagnosis within a couple hours, I said, wait a minute, this is my test. Can you, in fact, develop a skill set for trauma management? And the answer is absolutely. And that's why I tell you, let it wash over you. Let go, let go. Stop trying to control it. Don't medicate it. Medicate it in healthy ways. In other words, take walks, be exercise, raise endorphins, eat well. You know, don't allow yourself to slide down the slide into things you know are wrong. It's just going to make you feel worse, ultimately. So it takes self-discipline in the sense of self-love, self-care. I'm going to take care of myself, and I'm going to do what I need to do for me. Part of what you're talking about, part of what you, your question or your statement said, well, a lot of people are afraid to move forward because they're listening to all of the shoulds. There it is. Right. So society is limited because society is based on the limiting experiences that we've had. And if you, for Americans, this is a theory I have that I, I think actually starts to make some sense. If you look at our country as being very young, certainly in the scheme of the globe. So if we are 250 to 500 years old, depending on how you choose to count it, we are adolescent. In a, as a culture, as compared to the world. And what is adolescent? What is an adolescent behavior? What happens to an adolescent when they get hurt or they're scared? They react. Yeah. So we've been reacting since 9-11. We were not emotionally prepared because we've been so successful with our innovation, with our explosive entrepreneurship in this country that has become a world leader, yes, in our thinking, right? We're very very out of the box, very active thinkers. We've been using the left side of our brain, our logic, our analytic, our physical fitness forever, that literally the right side where all of our intuition, all of our creative input comes from our senses, our five senses, all of that's processed in the right brain, which has basically been sitting on the back seat whistling a tune for the last 500 years because we really just haven't had time or motivation to address it. So if you look at 9-11 as really the first impact, the first, we know it's the first attack on American soil, the rest of the world has dealt with war and terrorism for centuries. This was just our first soiree into it. So if we stop reacting for a minute, we might gain, and we start looking at maybe our part of it in a bigger sense, let's say, we can begin to build this collective wisdom. So what we lack as a young culture are wizened elders because we just don't have any experience. And if we haven't developed that 
create that soft human side, not soft, but that intuitive, creative human side where all that emotional knowledge is stored. We haven't trained ourselves emotionally at all, literally at all, which is why we were left so wide open on 9-11. And honestly, Columbine before that and um, Oklahoma City before that. You know, those are the beginnings for us. So anyway, I believe 15 years in the scheme of the world is, is a nanosecond. So if we can take this time to sit back and look at it and say, wow, what have we learned from this? How are we wiser? I don't think we've done a lot of that, but I think we can. And that's where I come in. Because I think part of it getting something fixed is finding the root of the problem. And you're here at the perfect time. Of course, we we know that that's it. We are doing things at the perfect time. And we've seen an escalation of these kinds of activities that causes, can cause us to get into more fear mode and re- withdrawing and not coming together in a unified way of, of finding that courage and peace and finding the cl- life that we want. So you're here to have us really realize this is the opportunity right at our fingertips. Right. Well, and I think you can take it back from a, to a very personal level, which is we always grow when we shift from the defensive to the offensive. When you sit back and you say, wow, how did what I say affect the person sitting across from me? How was the delivery of my reaction or my response? Did I think about it or did I snap? We do it in parenting all the time. Mm-hmm. We do it in management and business all the time. The point being, we hear about living a mindful life, living a conscious-driven life, which means to be in the moment and to be aware of yourself and how you are in the world. And when you can do that, your interpersonal relationships will be better because you're going to give it that moment, that moment of consideration before you respond. And that's what I've learned. I was extremely reactive, extremely reactionary because my father was extremely reactive. So we as parents are always role modeling for our children. So if we think that as adults we are reacting, right, as a culture, what are our children seeing? So we have to lead them. You can't learn this stuff in a book. This is not something taught in school. This is something we live experientially in life every day. So taking responsibility for our own behavior as adults. When you've done something wrong rather than glaze over it, ignore it, say nothing, admit to your child, admit to your friend, admit to your spouse, I was wrong. You know, I had a really bad day today, and this and this and this happened, and I took it out on you, and I'm sorry. And when you do that, it doesn't show weakness. There's no weakness in apology. There's no weakness in forgiveness. What there is is incredible respect. You gain this incredible respect, and your playing field evens out to be a much more harmonious place to be. So, so true. And if only the book were out now, but (laughs) you are working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And until then, though, um, one of the things I'd love to have your listeners uh, know that this all came and has a purpose. When I broke, when when the morning of 9-11, within a few hours, early days of that, um, I very distinctly because the warrior came out of me. I I evidently am a warrior type. I'm not a curl up in the ball in a ball in the corner type. didn't know that. Know it now. Um, I vowed 
that there was no way I would let Ted and all of the other people die in vain, that I would, was determined to make something good come from this. And so with that breakthrough four years later, I was given a download, if you will, of, the, of a lifestyle brand. And the nickname or the name of it is called Cosmina, which is a made-up word. And the Cosmina is actually a shawl, a knit, a hand-knit big wool shawl that I've been teaching women to knit now the last three years. But I started knitting when I had the breakthrough, which helped me process. Because when you use your fingertips, you're tapping into tactile touch. And tactile touch physiologically calms your central nervous system. So it naturally slows your breathing and quiets your heart rate and calms you down. Just like strumming a guitar or patting a dog. It's sensory input. It also taps into your right brain. When your right brain is activated, your, your left brain is given a break. So it can quiet down and stop you know, thinking so hard. And it's actually then, like we know, when you relax, the answers come. So here I was knitting for all the women who had taken care of me because I woke up one that morning and said, oh my gosh, who is taking care of mothers? Who is taking care of women? And I've been given so much that I just wanted to give back because it's very hard to continually receive it. I, I totally admit. So I made up the shawl and I, the third friend I made it for, I went over one cold morning in February of 2006 and I wrapped it around her Cosmina style which is beautiful. And she said, oh my gosh, this is the coziest thing I've ever worn. It's like a great big hug. And then she turned around and caught herself in the mirror and said, oh, but it's so glamorous. It's like a pashmina. No, it's a cosmina. Uh-huh. And the name stuck. So it really means where coziness meets glamour. But the lighthearted essence is that you throw it over your pajamas when you're late running the kids to school. You're dressed from the waist up for the world to see. You're held in this supportive, loving mother's hug, you know, with a smile on your face, and you're cared for as you're caring for others. So very much it's about taking care of the caregiver. But it's also about connecting like-minded thinkers, because many of us know that love is the answer, that we just need to be nice, that we need to live the golden rule of doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. It has all components of love. So if Cosmina is a place, so it's a lifestyle brand where you're living in the moment, with grace, humility, and gratitude. And there's many, many ways to get to that. Cosmina is just kind of my name for it. So if Cosmina is Rome, all roads lead to Rome. And my point is there's no judgment here. There's no criticism here ever. Just get here. However you get here, just get to this place. If it's through Jesus, Buddha, whoever it is that makes you feel that joy in your heart for yourself and you know, to pour the loving outward that's, then you're there. And that's my, my give back. That's what my pay forward is for all that my children and I have received is this Cosmina Enlightened Living. And you have a website where we can get oodles of information about the brand, but also about more of who you are, Lisa. Yes. So there's stories. There's the knitting kit is available. You can order the kit and there's videos online so you can actually teach yourself to knit. And um, it's, very, it's very soothing. There's no counting or measuring, so it's very, very meditational. So I really teach knitting as a meditation. Uh, there's also a cancer care list of 40 vetted websites because when I had cancer, there was no one-stop shop for someone dealing with a diagnosis. So that was just kind of a community service that I, I felt very compelled to make. And um, then there's some fun, yummy comfort foods. So you can feel, you know, sensory through food. 
so it's really about finding comfort through your five senses, however you can do that. You know, beautiful music, beautiful colors, whatever makes you feel good, and allowing yourself to do that. And the website is? www.cosmina, C-O-Z as in zebra, M-E-E-N-A. And the reason it's spelled that way is because I didn't know how to spell Pajmina, <laughs> which is the opposite, M-I-M-A. So C-O-Z-M-E-E-N-A oh, dot com. Perfect. This is such a great opportunity for us. It's going to be a personal one, but ultimately what you are offering us is to where we can get to is just having this kinder, more courageous, more authentic life. Yes. And I wish it for everyone from the bottom of my heart. Well, Lisa, you're doing all you can. We can tell that. And I so appreciate that you are so willing to share it, that you have this desire, deep desire to share it. And thank you for taking that time with us here this morning. Kate, thank you for having me. And best of luck to all my friends in Seattle. It's a beautiful place. That it is.